Thank you for tuning in to the RPC Sermon Series podcast. You're about to hear a live sermon, which was recorded at our 11 a.m. contemporary service. We are thrilled to share it with you. Thank you for listening. What a fantastic day today is. So special that we can celebrate four recipients of the Lane Alderman Scholarship. It's a fabulous day, and I would encourage you to join me in congratulating those well-deserved recipients and give thanks for um, their work and the work that goes into making that happen. So thank you so much. Today we're going to continue our sermon series by looking at a passage in Matthew, Matthew 26. I'm going to read, I'm going to start in verse 31 and read, and then we'll skip then toward the end of the chapter. But before we turn to the Word of God this morning, let's go to God in prayer. Holy God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for drawing us here to your Word. Lord, we pray that you would be in the reading of the Word, the proclaiming of the Word, and the hearing of the Word. God, that it would be your Word that is at work. Lord, and may this involvement with your word be so powerful that we cannot walk away unchanged. In your holy name we pray, amen. So listen now for the word of the Lord, Matthew 26, starting at verse 31. Then Jesus said to them, you will all become deserters because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Peter said to him, though all become deserters because of you, I will never desert you. Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night, before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even though I must die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all of the disciples. And then skipping to verse 69. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. A servant girl came to him and said, You also were with Jesus in the the Galilean. But he denied it before all of them, saying, I do not know what you're talking about. When he went out to the porch, another servant girl saw him. And she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Again, he denied it with an oath, I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you are also one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to curse, and he swore an oath, I do not know the man. At that moment, the cock crowed, and Peter remembered what Jesus said, Before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I have two sons. Between the two of them, there are lots of various sports of all sorts. A year or so ago, one of them was gearing up for basketball season, and he was getting very discouraged. He wasn't as tall as the other boys, and he didn't know all the drills, and he didn't feel like he had the skills, that everything was just a lot harder this year on the team. Now, I don't know anything about basketball, but my brother happens to be a high school basketball coach. And so I call my brother and I tell him about my child and how he's just, he's really struggling. And this basketball season is is just really hard and challenging. My brother said, 
good. Good. If it's hard, it means he's growing. It means he's going to have to push. He's got to engage in the struggle, and that struggle will make him better and stronger. My brother said, tell him he has to keep going, and even if he's not the best on the team at the end of the season, he will be a much better player than if he leaves to go play for a smaller, weaker, easier team where he can be the star. I think as we look at the passage today, I'm wondering if Peter chose the weaker, easier route for his own edification instead of doing the hard work and joining in the work with God. Now, if you have gone to church before, there's a good chance this isn't your first time hearing about Peter. Church people love to talk about Peter. He's very exciting. He's bold and passionate. He's impulsive, and Jesus loved him. He is one of Jesus' closest disciples. Matter of fact, several chapters back in Matthew 16, Jesus declares that Peter shall be the rock upon which Jesus will build his church. Jesus even goes on to say that the church on this rock will be so strong that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. By the time we get to our text that we are reading today, Jesus has just finished his last meal with the disciples, reminding him that his body is going to be breaking and and his blood is going to be poured out, but that all of that is an indication of his love for them. And Jesus reminds them that they will be together again, that the kingdom of God will come again. But then, then when we start our text today, that's when Jesus drops the real bomb. He says to his disciples, all of you will become deserters of me. And you can almost hear Peter declare, whoa, 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 this is insulting. We've left our jobs and our families, and we have traveled all over the place. And after all that we've done, you think we will desert you? Peter jumps up in usual Peter passionate fashion, and he declares to Jesus that maybe all of these guys will, but not me, Jesus, not me. I love you too much. I'm too passionate. I'm tenacious like a mama bear. Nothing can shake me from you, Jesus, even if I have to die. I will not desert you. After this exchange, Jesus decides that maybe he needs a moment, and so he gathers up his most intimate group of friends, James, John, and yes, Peter. And they go into a beautiful garden with large olive trees with their twisty trunks and branches that provide a safe place to hide away on a terrifying night. Jesus is scared, and so he stays up to spend the evening, the whole night, praying. But Peter, passionate, strong-willed, hold-nothing-back Peter, falls asleep. Later, in the same garden, Jesus is betrayed by Judas, and then stands trial in front of Caiaphas, the high priest, By now, the scripture tells us all the disciples have deserted Jesus, that they have all fled, and it's not looking good for Jesus. 
The crowds are starting to get wound up. There's buzz all around waiting to see what the authorities are going to decide about Jesus. Now, while the scripture tells us that all of the disciples have fled, it turns out that Peter, Peter's still hanging around. But of course he is. He's way too intense to miss out on whatever action is coming. People begin to recognize him, though. They begin to question him. And each time they question, Peter denies over and over again. And each denial gets bigger and bigger until finally, this third time, Peter begins to take oaths and curse to make sure that it's clear. The Greek word here leads us to believe that Peter is actually cursing Jesus. That this oath that Peter takes is a way of denouncing any relationship that he would have had with Jesus or even with God. It is a declaration that Peter is not a believer. That Peter is not in the fold. In every aspect possible, Peter deserts Jesus. Peter knew Peter knew that night that if he claimed to know Jesus, that if he claimed that he followed Jesus, that he had walked away from his nets the very day that he met Jesus without any hesitation, that he had journeyed to the top of a mountain to see Jesus transfigured into holiness, that the very night before he had sat up with Jesus as Jesus wept and feared for his life, if Peter admitted any of that, his own life was going to be in trouble. And so that day, red-hot, passionate Peter went stone cold on Jesus. He didn't just pretend he didn't know him either. He took oaths, he swore, he cursed, he threw a temper tantrum to make it absolutely clear that he had nothing to do with this man. Now, on one hand, we could just say, well, that's Peter. You know how Peter is. He's just like that. He's brazen and he's impulsive and he, he doesn't think before he speaks. He doesn't mean what he's saying. He's just scared or, or he's just being passionate. Peter's just human and humans make mistakes. We could say that. And honestly, most of the time, we do say that because we like Peter. And we know that eventually God's going to do some really amazing stuff through Peter, like build a church. But in this passage today, if we let Peter off the hook too easily, we will miss the importance of the text. We can't give Peter a pass just because he's a rash guy. If we write off Peter's passionate announcements of denial, then we have to write off Peter's passionate announcements of faith as well. If Peter doesn't mean anything he says when he's passionate, then Peter doesn't mean anything he says. No. We have to acknowledge here that Peter literally turns his back on the one who will assume guilt and death so that Peter will have forgiveness and life. What Peter did that night outside the high priest's house was to choose the smaller, weaker route. 
to pander to the world and the false sense of safety that the world had to offer instead of doing the hard work that would give him strength to join in the work of God. We can't dismiss Peter's denial as a minor slip-up. We can't turn a blind eye because we know that deep down Peter is a really good person. Peter is a really good person. But sometimes good people say and do bad things. Being a human is complicated. And being a human that claims to follow a brown-skinned Palestinian man who was convicted and executed makes it even more complicated. I wonder if Peter was thinking that night that Jesus is supposed to be the Savior, and yet here he is slowly losing any dignity that he had. I wonder if Peter was thinking, how could Jesus be the Messiah if he is refusing to exercise his divine power over the enemies? I wonder if he's thinking, Jesus isn't acting in a way that is strong and powerful. He is weak, and he's defeated. And then it's no wonder that Peter was lured into this seductive de deceit of the world instead of looking to see where God was in the moment and then joining in with that work. Peter chose to do what he felt like he needed to do for his own self-preservation. So we need to be clear. Peter left Jesus. And, and this is a really important theological point because it means that what Jesus did, Jesus did. There was no human assistance in the salvific love and death of Jesus Christ that the broken body that hung on the cross demonstrating the eternal life-saving truth was solely the work of our loving, gracious, powerful God. Now, I'm going to say something that's a little bit hard here. Because I'm wondering if the reason we let Peter off the hook so easily is because letting Peter off the hook excuses us as well. Like Peter, it makes those really hurtful, hard things that we say not so bad because deep down inside we're good people. We'd like to believe that surely people know that we didn't intend to hurt them with what we said, even when our words were really harmful. Or maybe, like Peter, we believe we're just trying to protect our own selves, our, our families, that our actions and our passion, the systems that we hold on to, we're, we're holding on to them for our own safety, even when maybe that's at the expense of others' safety and well-being. Or, maybe, like Peter, going against the crowd will cost us more than we're willing to pay. Our career, our families, our community. We live in such a polarized culture that sometimes we feel like we have to protect every single word we say so as not to be rejected in our entirety. I don't know your story. But I'm wondering if giving Peter a pass with this one allows us a pass as well. 
I want to be really honest with you today and tell you I often look for a pass. I want to be honest and tell you that I have spent the majority of my life trying to figure out how to maintain everything being fine. I'm fine. You're fine. Everything is fine. If we keep it fine, it stays easy, and I don't often do the hard work of asking, are we really all fine? I choose the easy route, and I don't answer that question. But you might remember in 2017, when there were white supremacy rallies in Charlottesville, Virginia, over the removal of a Robert E. Lee statue. Now, we're not talking about statues today. If you want to talk about that another time, that's fine. I will mention just quickly, though, of course, that as Christians, we have to acknowledge that there's that whole no graven images thing in the commandments, but I digress. During and after these riots in Charlottesville, there were leaders of all sorts, faith leaders, political leaders, business leaders, so many people releasing statements denouncing white supremacy. It seemed to me that a lot of people had said a lot of things, so it must be clear now that racism is unacceptable. Surely now everything is fine. However, I have some dear friends who are people of color. We had gathered for dinner and conversation the week after Charlottesville, and naturally the topic came up. Many of these friends serve in, as pastors in congregations that are primarily African-American. And as my friends began to speak about the events in Charlottesville, they spoke of grief and hurt, and yet another time that they had felt unsupported. It is with embarrassment that I confess to you I didn't understand what they were talking about. It is with shame that I will confess to you that I wondered to them a whole lot of white people had come out saying that white supremacy was bad. Didn't that make things better? And here, like Peter, my words were harmful. It was hurtful to my friends. But they were so gracious, and they began to explain that a statement doesn't mean there's an action to address issues. They shared with me times that they had experienced systemic racism in very real ways, and not only did they experience it on a regular basis, but they began to share about the congregations that they serve they talked about hurt and the struggle that, they, that their congregations had experienced in ways that I had never heard of. Except that if I'm going to be really vulnerable with you, then I have to admit they talked about struggling in ways that I had never been willing to acknowledge before. I want to be very clear. This was not a political debate. These are my friends that I love dearly and I respect tremendously. My friends didn't yell at me. 
My friends weren't arguing with me. My friends weren't confronting me. They were sharing their stories with me. And I'll admit, I had feelings of defensiveness and examples of exceptions that I was ready to offer. And I had to decide if I was going to pick the easy team then. The question was, was I going to keep insisting that everything is fine and just keep going on the way that I always had? Or would I choose the hard team? Would I be willing to do the work of confronting what I was feeling inside? Would I be willing to do the hard work of understanding why I was feeling this way and to begin exploring the systems that I'm a part of? Would I be willing to admit that, like Peter, choosing the harder team might mean that the people around me aren't always fine? And they might not always be fine with me. Would I choose to look around and see where God is at work and join in? When the rooster crowed that morning, Peter instantly became aware of the tragic night that he had just had. But y'all, I don't want you to miss this. The very difficult moment that the rooster crowed is also the moment that Peter's redemption began. Because the rooster crowing meant that all the things that Jesus had said were true, even the things that had been hard to hear. And if it's all true, that means the fact that we have a gracious, loving God who is at work reconciling the world back to God's very own self, that all of that is true. And the scripture tells us that Peter began to weep. And it is then that Peter began to weep. It is then that Peter began to choose to do the hard work. And we keep reading in Matthew, and we see that Matthew confesses, that Matthew asks for forgiveness, that Matthew, I mean, that Peter (laughs) confesses, and Peter does the hard work. And Peter begins to look deep inside of who he is and who he's called to be, and Peter begins to join in the work that God has called him to do. In that hard work, then, Jesus built the church on the rock. And y'all, thousands of years later, our lives are changed because of the church, because Peter did the hard work. Friends, I believe that even now in our culture, now in our church, now even in a pandemic, that God is at work. And Peter reminds us that we must pay attention to where God is and then do the hard work of claiming that truth of God and joining in. Maybe so in your life and in mine. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Holy God, we give you thanks for this day, for this opportunity to be in your word. God, we pray that you would bring us before you that you would equip us, that you would strengthen us, that you would make us vulnerable enough, Lord, that we would do the hard work that you call us to do. Lord, be with us and strengthen us. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the RPC Sermon Series podcast. If you'd like more info about Roswell Presbyterian Church, check out our website at roswellpres.org.